This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we are coming to you live and direct on National Signing Day. We're going to talk about all that that entails as it pertains to, well, Two teams in particular. We're going to get into five of the most influential prospects in the 2023 class. And I am going to definitively answer the question. Who gets to claim Jalen Hurts for the Super Bowl? You'll know that the Philadelphia Eagles will enter the Super Bowl after basically blowing up the franchise following having won the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs who have been here like three of the last four years with Patrick Mahomes. I should say Patrick LeVon. Mahomes and Jalen Hurts. We got two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl for the first time ever. It's Black History Month and off the rip. I'm like, I want to remind everybody here. I, RJ, have been nominated for an NAACP Image Award and it's February. Off to an outstanding start in 2023. All right. Now, let us have a conversation about just what this national recruiting calendar looks like, how it is coming to a conclusion for 2023, and get into those five influential prospects. So off the rip, I got to talk about Oklahoma. (laughs) Yeah, all right, check it. Oklahoma and Texas have rallied in a very cool way. Going into National Signing Day, being ranked among the top five programs in college football in recruiting. Now, Alabama and Georgia occupy those first two spots, and then you got Texas there at three LSU, and then Oklahoma at five. Now, what I find most interesting about that is that Oklahoma has a top five recruiting class coming off of a losing season. And while I was like, wow, that's got to be wild because I can't remember the last time that happened. And then producer Tyler's like, actually, RJ, Texas put together a top five recruiting class after finishing five and seven in 2021, for which I had to go and do a little bit more digging to find out, no, uh, Texas has been doing this. And we'll get into that to a second. But for Oklahoma to be in this spot, frankly, is unprecedented because, well, I've never seen an Oklahoma team have a losing season in the 21st century. So you'll forgive me if I'm not used to slumming it like Texas doing the least with the most for like, well, ever, frankly, if we're going to get honest about it. I mean, you got one national championship since like 1981. You should be better, Texas. Meanwhile, the Sooners are going into a very, very important year where they have secured one of these top five recruiting prospects that I want to talk about. But I also want to get to this. OU's 2023 class is ranked ahead of Ohio State, USC, and Tennessee. 
That is to say, coming off of a losing season, Oklahoma has a recruiting class ranked ahead of a team that was a missed field goal away for playing in the national championship game, a team that played in the Cotton Bowl, and another that won the Orange Bowl against Clemson. What I'm saying is we're getting into the nitty-gritty, right? We're getting into the nitty-gritty in 2023 because, well, the Big 12 also goes to 14 teams for the first and only time in its history at a moment when people are doubting Oklahoma and, frankly, continue to doubt Texas. I believe on Joel Class show, he said, I'm not going to give Texas my attention until they've earned it. Sick as burn because it's true. Like it, 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 That's where it is, right? I've been trying to say Texas is back, and if you come here to say that, hey, RJ, remember when you said Texas is back? You're right on time with that joke. I'm not saying it. I'm really not. However, like Oklahoma, they got one of the five most influential prospects in the sport, and frankly, for the second straight year, we could say that for them. I also think it's fascinating to point this out on the Texas front. Basically, over these last, going back to 2018, so the last five, six years, right? We're looking at Texas getting production out of B. John Robinson, best running back in football, 2022. Uh, Jordan Whittington, Casey Thompson, Jake Smith, Xavier Worthy, and Quinn Ewers. And you got an Alamo Bowl win against Colorado, Carl Durrell, Colorado. And a close call in front of a sellout crowd on the 40 acres against Alabama in what is considered a down year for Alabama. That's all you have to show for your time so far. Again, Texas, you, you, you make it easy. And you don't have to. You're talented. You've always been talented. It's about getting that talent to rise to the occasion. And what better time for that talent to rise to the occasion than right now in your final season of Big 12 play? As for Oklahoma, look, man, I got two quotes from everybody's favorite rancher. I said a favorite American rancher, John Dutton. Yellowstone, if you watch it, you understand. If you don't, you're one of the 15 million people, uh, or excuse me, you don't count yourself among the 15 million people that watch that show. All to say, first quote is, this is America. We don't share land. That's been Oklahoma when it comes to the Big 12 Conference. This is ours. We don't share it. And my favorite of these, everybody's forgotten who runs this valley. And that's also Oklahoma. Everybody's forgotten who runs this valley. This is the time. Right now, with 14 teams in this league, with Central Florida, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU feeling like they're easy pickings, with you having most of those teams on your schedule, and also at a moment when Texas's schedule has, I believe, every conference team save one, Iowa State, on Texas's schedule next year, made a bowl game. Feels like, it feels like Big 12 saying something there. Feels like they want you to run the gauntlet on the way out of here. And Oklahoma's is not close. I believe they got two teams on their scheduling conference that it didn't play in a bowl game last year. So again, everybody's coming for your head. I'm, I will be very, very excited to see how they are greeted at their final big 12 media day in July. All right, let's go from Oklahoma and Texas to maybe a little bit more about Oklahoma and Texas, but by way of the top five most influential prospects in the class of 2023. Now for the sake of this discussion, I'm limiting this list to high school recruits, because that's what National Signing Day is about. It's also the end of a recruiting cycle, like for real, where we actually get to turn the page and go to the next year. But also you're looking at this as a time when you're really filling in gaps as opposed to announcing entire classes. It's become kind of the second signing day, right? A uh, backup signing day, if you will. 
Now, there are a couple of players on this list that I'll point out as we get to them who are announcing or have not or will not announce their National Signing Day intentions until, well, after National Signing Day is gone. I'll get to those, right? But off the rip, I want to make an honorable mention for Nebraska wide receiver Malachi Coleman. I love this dude. I love his game. I love his film and I love his attitude. All right. Six foot four, 190 pound wide receiver who has sprinted the 100 meter dash in 10.46 seconds and podium, Nebraska state championships, and the 100, the 200, and the triple jump. I am a track nerd. That will, I will always be a track nerd. I ran track at the University of Tulsa. I got a letter jacket to show for it, right? I'm a 400-meter guy, the strong kind, not the fast kind. That means I'm the kind that had to do eight and 12 200-meter sprints instead of the six that Michael Johnson could do because he could fly. Anyway, all to say, if you hear me talk about track times, it's because I put a lot of emphasis into speed and verifiable speed. And there is no more verifiable speed than running on a track in a high school meet where they are using laser times, okay? So that's number one. He also has a really great video that you should search out on the interwebs of him seemingly hitting his head on the backboard as he is sprinting back to make a LeBron James style block for his basketball team at Lincoln East in Lincoln, Nebraska. It might have been doctored. It might not have been. What I can tell you is it's awesome. And you got to be able to leap to get that sort of doctoring in the first place. Just go check it out. It's a lot of fun. And then as a football player, 60% of the passes he caught as a junior <laughs> were touchdowns. He averaged 33 yards per catch, and he played both ways, had 57 tackles, seven and a half sacks, and four forced fumbles as a defensive end. There's a lot of conversation about whether or not he should either be playing wide receiver. But underneath all of that is just whether or not Nebraska not was going to win him, but even knew who he was. Because going into June 2021 of his summer camp, where he's going to Friday Night Lights in Nebraska, he didn't have an offer. And he went through camp without an offer. It feels kind of wild being that he's the number one player in the state of Nebraska. And you are the University of Nebraska. Of course, this is Scott Frost's dream and not Matt Rule's. Meanwhile, Matt Rule shows up right as Coach Prime shows up to Colorado. Coach Prime is putting full court press on the number one wide receiver in Nebraska. And the quote that Malachi gave to 247 is saying no to Coach Prime was like saying no to God. Score one for the rule in Nebraska because he got that dude. He did something similar with Charlie Brewer at Baylor, and that turned out to be an outstanding omen for what was ahead for Baylor. All right. That's my honorable mention. You can tell I'm excited about this list if I'm talking that much about a guy who doesn't even make the top five. So we're going to go at number five. Going to move our way up. To start here, five-star defensive end Nick Harbour, who may or may not have announced his intentions of where he's going to play his college football by the time you are listening or watching this. At the moment, it feels like a lean towards South Carolina. Michigan feels good about it. Oregon felt good about it at one point. Even Colorado felt good about it at one point. We'll leave it to Nick to tell us what he's going to do. But this dude is ridiculous. I, 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 I'm always overwhelmed by the size and speed of some of these guys that are 17, 18 years old getting ready to play college football. And Nick is one of those guys. He is an edge, right? We're talking six foot four, 230. He can put on another 20 pounds and be fine. But at that speed, or excuse me, at that height and that weight, he's running this kind of speed. 20.79 and 200 meters. 10.28 in the 100 meters. 
These are ridiculously fast times, period. These are the times for which, yes, I could develop you into an Olympian. If you showed up to LSU, you showed up to Florida, you showed up to, my goodness, uh, Texas A&M, any number of great men's track programs with that sort of speed, at that size, first thing you're going to do is have you drop a lot of weight and make you a little bit faster because usually a great 100, 200-meter sprinter is between 150, 175 pounds, right? That's not Nick Harbour. Nick Harbour is basically twice that size and running that fast. That is terrifying coming off of any edge ever. I can only imagine what it's like for a left tackle to try to block him because he knows he's beat by two steps as soon as the ball is snapped. That is really ridiculous. And then, again, if you watch him coming off the line, he looks like a fired gun, hunts like a quarterback, and strikes like a lion is hungry, hits like Clubber Lang. I mean, it's, it's, it's really vicious what he can do, and I'm excited to see him play a little bit of college football. The comp right now for me is Vernon Davis. For those of y'all that are in the thick of college football, and in the thick of the NFL for that matter, but in the thick of college football, you remember the way we used to talk about Vernon Davis. A man that big and that fast with 4-3 speed should not exist, and yet there was Vernon Davis at Maryland standing right in front of us. My goodness, if Nick Harbour turns out to be that kind of dude, it's going to be something phenomenal coming out of Archbishop Carroll in D.C. All right, next on the list for me uh, is five-star tight end Deuce Robinson, another man that probably won't announce where he is going to play football on National Signing Day because there's a lot that goes into this. But off the rip, you should know that it feels like it's a two-horse race between USC, Lincoln Riley, and UGA. Kirby Smart. Now, one of those folks is going to try to convince Deuce Harbor or Deuce Harbor, Deuce Robinson, that he could be the next great tight end out of Arizona. He's from Phoenix. Like, say, Mark Andrews, who left Arizona with the state record for receiving yards as a wide receiver, went to Oklahoma, had himself moved from wide receiver to tight end, and became a Mackey Award winner, All-American Pro Bowl tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. That's what Lincoln Riley is pitching. You saw what I'm able to do with that guy. Let me do that with you. And he has the size to do this. We're talking six foot six, 240, right? Runs like a freight train, but there's something else to that. And then if you're obviously Kirby Smart, you're going, hey, forget Mark Andrews, who feels like a decade ago. I'll just point you to the guy that just won a national championship and was the best receiver on my football team in Brock Bowers. Do you want to be the king of Arizona or the king of the West Coast? Because that's what we're doing over here, right? You could be the next great tight end prospect. And you understand, in my offense, that's where the ball goes. We don't, we don't really look to stretch the field that often if we can get it to those big tight ends in the middle of the field, and you can be one of those guys. But the rub here isn't necessarily that Robinson is indecisive, though he might be. I mean, you're making a very big decision. It's that he might be a better baseball prospect than he is a football prospect. And that's wild. But to underscore this, the L.A. Dodgers liked him enough to invite him to participate in a private workout in January because the comp for him in baseball is Aaron Judge. That's baseball, people. That's not me. All right? And if you go look him up and you see him swing a bat, you kind of understand. If you get that kind of, well, talent on a baseball diamond, we understand what it means because it's not even the chicks dig the long ball anymore. It's that uh, nerds dig the long ball. We're willing to strike out all the time rather than put the ball in play because we might get an opportunity to hit a home run. I'm a catcher, so I feel some kind of way about that because I was trying to get the ball in play, and you gotta, if somebody else makes a mistake, you get on base. But they're like, hey, man, what are bases if you can just hit over the wall? Anyway, I, I didn't have that kind of ability either, so I'm 
sort of envious. I had to put the ball on the play. Deuce Robinson does not. He can just go knock it over the park if you out of the park if he wants to. But as a tight end in high school, coming out of Pinnacle, same high school Spencer Rattler went to, he had 1,600 yards receiving and 14 TDs en route to a state title appearance. 1,600 yards receiving as a tight end. That's ridiculous. Like it just, it's unfair. I would also add that, you know, Rattler might have something to say to Deuce Robinson about playing for Lincoln Riley, but maybe that doesn't even factor in at all. Either way, if, if Deuce Robinson decides to wait until, say, the MLB draft to make his decision, I don't think anybody's going to worry about it. I mean, we watched JT Tui Malau not make his decision until like July 4th of 2021 to get into, right, Ohio State. So if you want to make the financial aid agreement, I'm sure Georgia or USC will make it work for him, especially if he's got that kind of ability. I also add another wrinkle in here for Lincoln Riley. He's dealt with, you know, a top 10 baseball player before named Kyler Murray. It worked out just fine for Lincoln Riley, not so much for the Oakland Athletics. All right. Number three on the list for me, Oklahoma signee and quarterback Jackson Arnold, the biggest recruit of the Brent Venables era at the University of Oklahoma. His resume is awesome. 2022 Elite 11 MVP. Usually a pretty good predictor of future success. All right. Max Prep Player of the Year. National Gatorade Player of the Year. That's a big one. Started 31 games, 128. Yeesh. Okay. As a senior, threw for 3,476 yards, rushed for 921, and accounted for 57 total TDs at Denton Geyer. Basically a rock throw away from Norman, Oklahoma. He's got the goods, okay? There's also a couple of things that I want to underscore here. The last National Gatorade Player of the Year to commit and sign with Oklahoma is Kyler Murray. If you look at Jackson and Arnold and you see some Kyler Murray ability, maybe not with the wheels, but with the arm talent, you'll see what I'm talking about, right? You also satisfy what I call the Lincoln Riley criteria for starting quarterbacks, which number one, is the guy a winner? Yeah, you go 28 and three. You're a winner. Is he smart? Yes. Is he a competitor? Yes. Do people want to follow him? Yes. Along that list, you get to arm talent, but it really doesn't factor into it all that much for Riley because he just he agrees. If you're accurate and you're a winner, I can make this work. If you can make things happen off schedule, I'm probably going to make you the starting quarterback, just like he did with Caleb Williams at a time when they needed a guy at Oklahoma who can make something happen when the line was breaking down. That's why Spencer Rattler went on the bench why Caleb Williams has really become a Heisman Trophy winner and is returning to USC with that privilege. I'm excited to see what Arnold does because I think he really is going to propel Oklahoma into the SEC. And whether or not Dylan Gabriel is the guy that starts the whole year, I love to think that you get the red shirt year for Jackson Arnold, but seeing how Nick Evers said enough of this and went to Wisconsin, you're going to have to work really hard to keep your thoroughbred very, very comfortable to keep him around for your eventual onslaught, I hope, onslaught into the SEC, if not, you know, walking in there kind of gingerly and not looking around, not trying to make eye contact. All right, number two on the list for me, Colorado cornerback Cormani McClain. All right, the reason that this is such a big deal is not just because he's a five-star recruit, not just because he's number one player at his position. It's because he joins another five-star recruit and another former number one at his position at the same position on a field where you can have two on the field at the same time. It ain't like having two quarterbacks. It's having two cornerbacks. McClain and Travis Hunter 
on one side of the field is ridiculous. That means you're going to be thrown to the middle of the field a lot because I believe both of those guys have the length, the speed, the size to take away your number one. And for that matter, your number two, your tight ends better be able to come to play to work against those linebackers and safeties because, well, frankly, you have the head coach is the best defensive back of all time, Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime. You also have a defensive coordinator who is a defensive backs coach that came from Alabama in Charles Kelly. All right. That is also a man who knows from defensive back play and has some national championships to show for it. You put all four of these people together. It's easy to see how they form up like Voltron and give everybody their business. I'm excited for Colorado football. I'm excited to see what Cormani McClain looks like. Cause I think the cop now is like Seattle Seahawks. Tariq Woolen coming out of UTSA. A lot of folks didn't know about Tariq Woolen until he, you know, showed up six foot four with four, three speed and started shutting people down. And then I think he had six interceptions in his rookie year at Seattle. Just ridiculous. And shout out to Pete Carroll. Just seems to know how to go find the long rangey guy with speed. And that's exactly what McLean is. I'm really interested to see whether or not Travis Hunter goes even further to the other side of the ball playing wide receiver and try to go both ways a little more often in Colorado. But we'll see because it is a step up in competition. But it's a step up in competition for a guy who was already cited as the best of his peers. And then number one on the list for me, five-star quarterback, Texas quarterback, Arch Manning. Now, there's a lot to go into this. The first is his name is Arch Manning, right? He is named for his grandfather, who was a saint at the University of Ole Miss and a saint with the New Orleans Saints, like a de- like on that scale, canonization. And his uncles are, yes, Peyton and Eli. And his, his daddy, Cupper, could absolutely play. He is joining that conversation, even as he's been a part of that first family football all of his life. It's number one overall recruit in the class, man. That's the other part. Now, the knock on him is that he played small school football at Isidore Newman. I mean, you could say that if you want to. So did Malachi Nelson, uh, oh, or, you know, USC starter. But more than that, it didn't seem to hurt Odell Beckham none to go to Isidore Newman. And it certainly didn't seem to hurt Eli none to go to Isidore Newman. They are okay. It's really about what happens once he gets on campus. And what has happened so far is he's lost his student ID at least twice. Enough that students have picked it up, snapped it, said, hey, uh, Arch, I'm going to go turn this in to the place where you go get, pick these things up. I got you. Twice in one month. Don't let that be indicative of putting the ball on the floor. That's all I'm saying, right? Otherwise, it might get bad. But he's got a year. I think he's got a year. I know that we're going to talk about Arch Manning as if he's in a quarterback derby with Quinn Ewers. But I think that's because people are underwhelmed by Quinn Ewers and not because there's actually going to be a quarterback competition. And if you listen to Steve Sarkeesian closely, you'll hear we treated him like a freshman quarterback in 2022 because he was a freshman quarterback in 2022. He skipped a senior year of football where his coach, Riley Dodge, had a plan set up that he just threw in the gutter so he could go to Ohio State to collect his money, which, you know, I feel like is the best decision. Then he goes to Texas, wins the job, right, ahead of Hudson Card, and he has some good days and some bad days. On his best day, he can beat Alabama. I don't think you want to put that guy on the shelf if you're Steve Sarkeesian, and you would love to save Arch Manning for your eventual foray into the SEC with the full throat of Omaha Productions and all that comes behind that, behind Arch Manning, in addition to... Texas is one of the most moneyed universities in all the sport. It's one of the reasons we keep dunking on them because money apparently cannot buy them championships. 
but perhaps a talent like Arch Manning can get them a championship. We will have to wait and see. All right. I want to go from my top five most influential prospects of 2023 to who the hell is going to be Alabama's offensive and defensive coordinators in 2023. Really kind of interesting to me, right? Because Nick Saban has to fill both the coordinator positions on a team that won 11 games, right? Beat the hell out of the Big 12 champions in the Sugar Bowl, right? I, I, that's that's wild. But Pete Golden took the same job, defense coordinator at Ole Miss, and then, of course, Bill O'Brien took a former job back in New England Patriots where, frankly, they need him in the worst way because they got defense coordinators out there calling offensive plays, and Raheem Morris is the only guy that I've ever seen make that work. By the way, if you need a head coach, maybe you give Raheem a call. I know D'Amico got a call. Good on D'Amico. Just Raheem, give him a call. Anyway, so now that you know that Bill O'Brien is gone, Peter Golden is gone, the question isn't necessarily who fills those roles, although I'll give you some names. It's what is Nick Saban's plan? In 2023 and beyond, because is he going to stay inside of his coaching tree, which is formidable? We'll talk about that in a minute, or outside of his coaching tree to try to do something a little bit different. And I think this is a very interesting spot for Nick because, as much as I love the man, and I do love the man, and I really love his get down, and I love the way he changed how people view LSU, changed how I and others view Alabama, and has been consistent, right? And for all intents and purposes, is a very pleasant man even if he doesn't always seem to be one. It's about setting Alabama up for what the next 10 years are going to look like because Nick is past 70. I don't plan to see him coaching past 80. I would like to, but I don't plan on it. And I don't think, frankly, should anybody else. So his next hires, I believe, have to be indicative of the kind of future that he wants Alabama to have and what the future of offense and defense looks like because Quite as kept, Nick ain't been the quickest to adapt or lead any sort of change in the sport. As a matter of fact, he is old school like you read about. This is a man who would shame other coaches because they could not tell him how to take a snap from center, even though, as he said, you can get a far in this game now with computers. <laughs> Love that man. It's like, we used to have to cut film. Y'all don't even have to cut film anymore. It's like, yeah, coach, we have to cut film on a computer. I had to actually cut film for session. Like he had to go uphill both ways. It really did. Cause you look into him at West Virginia working for his father, big Nick. It's a whole get down. And I really love it because he's been able to keep that every step of the way. So him hiring inside or outside is also going to be indicative of, well, does he want to keep to the process or does he think we can introduce somebody new to the process? Now, Offensive coordinators, I think, is interesting here. Uh, we're going to go ahead and tell you that, uh, well, one Ryan Grubb, who was interviewed for the job on Monday, took himself out of the job, right? So that, that just makes a lot of sense. He was, uh, or not was, he is the offensive coordinator at the University of Washington, where, you know, Kalen DeBoer and he engineered an offense that had 500 yards offense game, 357 through the air. Michael Penix Jr., who looked like damaged goods at one point, looks like one of the best quarterbacks not just in the Pac-12, but in the country in 2023. The rub, I think, is that Ryan Grubb got a pay raise to $2 million annual in December. I don't know that Nick Saban feels like he should have to pay $2 million for an offensive coordinator from the University of Washington. 
That's me though. And I can understand why you might take your name out of that. If he doesn't want to ante up, you want to take it like a million dollar pay cut. It's probably not going to be enough to get him out of Seattle, which means that we're still looking at an offensive coordinator and a defensive coordinator at the university of Alabama. Perhaps they hire somebody by the time this comes out, maybe not, but also take into account. You have a quarterback derby on your hands right now. You have two different styles of quarterback too. You have Jalen Milrow and you have Ty Simpson. Milrow is much more of a threat with his legs, much more athletic. I put him in the Jalen Hurts category of a guy that can sling it, but also a dude that you have to respect and play 11-man football with. And Ty Simpson's a little bit more towards your Bryce Young. I want to sit back there, scan the field. I only want to scramble to make a throw as opposed to go get the first down, though I could do that too. I'm really interested to see what this looks like and who he hires is going to basically tip his hand as to who he thinks ought to be the starting quarterback in 2023 for the University of Alabama. Now, a couple names I want to get out of the way. Holman Wiggins, wide receiver coach at Alabama, basically says Billy Napier gave up that job. I got to meet Holman when he worked at uh, Tulsa and was running backs coach of all things, put Trey Watts on game. Went to Alabama, turned out guys like, you know, Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. You get what I'm saying? Like, he's been a gold mine over there. Not only is he developing, he is not missing. They had excellent wide receivers at the University of Alabama since Nick Saban decided, fine, y'all want to go up-tempo? Y'all want to make me catch up to y'all where I can't play murder football anymore? Cool, we'll do that too. We'll hit you for 50 a game, and that's what they do. Another guy to put on your radar is Josh Gaddis. Recently fired in University of Miami after one year, a year after winning the Broyles Award as the, well, best assistant in football, offensive coordinator in Michigan, engineered an offense that beat Alabama, that beat Ohio State and won a Big Ten championship and made the college football playoff. Maybe you want to bring that guy back to Alabama where he was a co-offense coordinator with Mike Loxley, who was head coach at Maryland. Another name to throw at you, Freddie Kitchens. Yeah, remember him? He's an analyst at South Carolina. He also was a grad assistant for Saban in 2000 at LSU and, of course, the quarterback in the University of Alabama and a former head coach, right? Cleveland Brown, such as it was. Uh, I had a lot of fun watching Freddie Kitchens call plays for Baker Mayfield, but I'm in the minority on that. And not just because I'm not a Browns fan. Now, another name that I want to throw at you or two. One, one is kind of in out of left field, but I'll get there. Duke offense coordinator Kevin Johns feels like a nice fit because of what he was able to do with Riley Leonard at Duke. Riley Leonard, 2,700 yards a game, 600 or 700 yards rushing. That's a dual threat quarterback at Duke where they won football games. And I feel like if you want to go the Jalen Milrow route, that's a way to go. Another guy that fits that same mold that has done the most ever with a quarterback not named Tom Brady, Baltimore Ravens former offense coordinator Greg Roman. Now, the reason I say has done the most with a quarterback not named Tom Brady is because Greg Roman made Colin Kaepernick into a Super Bowl contending quarterback and produced the only other unanimous MVP in the history of the National Football League. I'll say it again. There have been two unanimous MVPs in the National Football League. One of them is the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. The other is Lamar Jackson. So as much noise as people want to talk about Greg Roman's offense, I watched that man use that offense to engineer the best season by any quarterback not named Tom Brady, do the most in Buffalo with Terod Taylor in that offense. And again, I say, 
coach the team to a Super Bowl, the Niners, underneath Jim Harbaugh, of all people, with that offense. If you want to throw a little bit of a wrinkle, you want to introduce a new kind of smash mouth football, you want to have people preparing for Alabama in a way that they haven't had to prepare for Alabama in years, you go hire Greg Roman. That's my pie in the sky, and that's my real opinion on that and what I really love about, well, the idea of Greg Roman being a college football coach is I think that offense just works in a way that it can't work or doesn't work as well if Lamar Jackson or somebody of his caliber is not running it. Now, one thing to add about uh, Gaddis here is He's the guy of this group that runs an offense that looked a lot like what Brian Dable also introduced at halftime when he benched Jerlyn Hurts, you know, to go into uh, winning the national championship. Get back to that here as we get toward the end of the show. Best defense coordinator candidates is also an interesting list because, well, Jim Leonard is still out there somehow. Like, he goes from being one of the best defensive coordinators in the country to being an interim head coach to not having a job, mostly because he didn't want to stay on at Wisconsin. Like, it's not as if, Luke Fickle did not want to keep him. But I think he's out there for a reason. Maybe he was out there for an NFL job. Maybe he was out there because he wanted to take some time off, which is becoming a trope that I really enjoy. Coach is getting used to. It's what Pep Guardiola used to do. He used to say, hey, I'm going to give you all I got for like four or five years, and I'm going to take a break because this job is a lot. Derek Mace is doing that. He made a million dollars coach defense at uh, Oklahoma State. He's decided, I'm going to take a little time. Take a little time to myself. Sean Payton decided he wanted to work with me. He wanted to be a colleague with me at Fox Sports before, you know, going back to coach the Denver Broncos. I understand, Sean. I understand. I, I'm, I'm that big a deal. I'm not. I'm really not. But it's, it's fun to say. You understand. I mean, it's fun to say I work with Shannon Sharp. <laughs> Just fun to say. Anyway, I also like on this list Charles Kelly, who's defense coordinator at Colorado, because two reasons. One, Charles Kelly's coming from Alabama, and he's never been defense coordinator at Alabama, been secondary coach, right? He also played a little football at Auburn, right? Couldn't find any stats, but he's on the roster. And I've mentioned that because Charles Kelly, who looks his age, was a defensive back at Auburn when Deion Sanders was a defensive back at Florida State. And somehow Deion, Coach Prime, has got to the age of 55 and still looks 35. I don't understand. Must be because black don't crack and he does his moisturizing like he should, I don't. I need to get on it because I'm trying to age like him. But Charles Kelly's also the other guy, the only guy I've ever met who claims Ozark, Alabama. And you don't know where Ozark, Alabama is, but you don't need to know where Ozark, Alabama is. You only need to know that I said Ozark, Alabama. And if I'm telling you this man claims Ozark, Alabama, don't you think he would love to be a defensive coordinator at the University of Alabama? He turned down the defense coordinator job at Auburn when Gus Malzahn was there before you get ahead of that. But I know where Ozark, Alabama is because my daddy's from the Florida panhandle and I spent time picking peas, cotton, and pecans in Campbellton, Florida, which is a stone's throw from Ozark, Dothan, and Dale County. All right? I just, I just got it like that. I would love to see what happens if Nick Saban makes a run at Coach Prime, new defense coordinator. And then on the list, again, Jimmy Lake. I like Jimmy. I love Jimmy. Jimmy's always been nothing but good to me. And I was very excited to see him running University of Washington. It didn't go well. He was relieved of his duties and he hasn't been back in the coaching since. But I believe that he's one of the better defensive minds nobody talks about. And what a way for him to be back in the fold, getting a phone call from a guy like Nick Saban, who's already made a phone call to somebody else who's on a different staff in University of Washington. It'd be fun. Lynn Schumann at Georgia kind of took his name out of that or has been intuited as a guy that Kirby Smart's going to pay to keep, but like Glenn Schumann was co-defense coordinator 
at Georgia. Maybe he didn't want that co-title. Maybe he didn't want to share that with Will Muschamp. Maybe he's done everything he can do at Alabama. Wants to make like, I don't know, maybe uh, Jermaine Burton and decide he wants to transfer to Alabama after winning that championship at Georgia. We'll see. Then uh, there's Todd Grantham, who, by the way, has worked for Nick Saban twice. I missed the first time, but that was back in Michigan State when I was like a child. And he, last year, he worked as an analyst. So perhaps he's looking around going, I know how to work this defense. Todd, you also know how to work the B button on the controls. And the B button on the controls for blitz, 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 blitz. I've never seen an offense I shouldn't blitz. Fine. You can do that, Alabama, because they always got dudes. And the last guy to pay attention to here is uh, producer Cat's favorite head coach. I'm joking here. I'm saying that sarcastically. And Jeremy Pruitt, uh, because Jeremy Pruitt's tenure at Tennessee is very well known, synonymous with fast food at this point, and uh, paper. If you understand, you understand. If you don't, he got 18 NCAA level one infractions on his resume. That ought to lay it out for you. But what's funny about this is, A, Nick Saban had a conversation with Jeremy Pruitt that was reported at CBS Sports. As for would it be breaking any rules for, you know, Nick Saban to hire a guy with 18 level one infractions? No is the answer. Right, Auburn? Now, there is an SEC bylaw that says if you want to hire somebody that the NCAA has slapped with sanctions or infractions, not sanctions, infractions, you got to have a conversation with the president about it. The president has to have a conversation with the SEC commissioner about it. But Greg Sankey basically blurted out, hey, man, what the universities want to do is what the universities want to do. We just want to be informed of what it is that they are doing so we can you know, prepare ourselves on our end. But they want to make a hire. They get to make a hire. Right, Auburn? Now, from that Alabama conversation to an Alabama conversation that was kind of, frankly, myth by, and then it made all the sense in the world. So on the Twitters following the Eagles beating the pants off of the 49ers who were down to their fourth string quarterback in Josh Johnson. My goodness, I didn't know Josh Johnson was still in the league. Turns out Josh Johnson's been in the league 15 years and I didn't even notice. Wow. You want to talk about the rise of black quarterbacks? That's what I'm talking about, baby. Got the four-string collecting that check like Chase Daniel. Yeah, I said it. Now, Jalen Hurts goes and wins the NFC Championship, brings Philadelphia Eagles back to the Super Bowl, and that's a wild story because he's got a head coach that didn't feel like he could do a press conference, let alone coach a football team at the start of this thing after they blew up the entire franchise and basically rebuilt it with a guy that not a lot of people were in on, myself included, in Jalen Hurts. And that story is remarkable because – I watched him get pulled at halftime in the national championship game. Now I know guys get benched all the time. Spencer Rattler among them, you know, I can keep going down the list, but you got to have a special kind of self-confidence to get the hook at halftime of the national championship game. Watch the backup come in and complete one of the best and most improbable passes to win the national championship game in national championship history. And then stay on the team and not just stay on the team. Stay on the team long enough and be in a good enough position with the coach and with the program to be able to come off the bench when the dude that came off the bench to replace you gets his ankle hurt and you got to go win the SEC championship with less than five to play against the University of Georgia. Jalen Hurts built a little bit differently, y'all. Like, that's what I learned. Now, he went to Oklahoma after that because Nick Saban loved him enough to say, hey, 
I understand you don't hate Alabama. We love Alabama. You love Alabama. What we want to know is who has the best offense and can we get you there? And Jalen said, Oklahoma. He said, cool. Let's see if we can't get you to Oklahoma. And Lincoln Riley said, bet, because I just lost Kyler Murray. I need a quarterback. Jalen Hurts shows up January 2019. And what's funny about that to me is he was very clear about his allegiance, or at least what I think of as his allegiance to Alabama. And then his play at Oklahoma had people thinking differently because you could see in this game against UCLA, we got to see what he was really about wearing that number one. But as the season went on, I had my own reservations. I watched the man not be able to throw a football downfield to his left. I charted the games. I could show it. Doing a local radio show, you do like three seconds about Oklahoma every single time. And I would hammer this because it felt like he was holding the ball too long. Felt like he was turning himself into the best running back threat as opposed to handing the ball to a running back. Turns out that dude leads Oklahoma not just to a Big 12 championship, not just to a college football playoff berth, but leads them in the best comeback of my lifetime. OU Baylor 2019 down 25. Nick Benito makes it so, and they march back and win a game they absolutely had to win. One of the most memorable experiences of my life as an OU fan, and I'll never forget that. Goes and becomes a Heisman runner-up, basically on the Max Duggan tip of, we really love this guy, and we would like to see him win it, if at all possible. It wasn't because, well, Joe Burrow was that dude, and Joe Burrow continues to be that dude. So now we're here at a moment when Jalen Hurts is going to be playing against Patrick LeVon Mahomes. But we got two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And I asked, who gets claiming? Oklahoma or Alabama, to which y'all had so much to say. So I had to actually sit here and give my brain to this and walk around in it, basically charting out my last year working something like a beat writer at Oklahoma, which was his only year at Oklahoma. Now, I can walk through just how Oklahoma did not bench Jalen Hurts, even when it felt like they could. And that mean, means a lot more knowing that Riley benched a guy he brought in in Spencer Rattler for another guy in Caleb Williams. And that turned out to be the right move, but still he had never done it before then. And Jalen Hurts is kind of the proof that he was never gonna, right? Like there were moments where it's like, yo, Lincoln, really? You, you still doing this? Yes, he's still doing this. And then we could say that, you know, at Alabama, they, they put you on the shelf, dog. They put you on the shelf for the left-handed dude from Hawaii. Wait, how you really feel? You from Texas, right? You got a little chip on your shoulder. Never let that show. It's always purported himself with a level of, well, maturity that, frankly, dude twice his age don't have. As much as people want to be enamored by how much this man squats, you should be more enamored with how he remains composed throughout all of this. All, all of this. And I mean that because there are people, myself included, who didn't think he could do this. And by this, I mean lead a team to the Super Bowl. And he has done that while also being in the conversation for the most valuable player in the league award which for me is still the best MVP award in the sport. It means that much. I also know he graduated from the University of Alabama. He enrolled in classes as a grad student in Oklahoma, but he did not graduate with a degree from the University of Oklahoma. And the definition of alumni says, did you or did you not come away with a degree? It's actually a fact that I kind of want to raise to you because in this era of grad transfers, 
And in this era of rampant transfers, and basically since the inception of the three-year rule for the NFL, there are a lot of guys that you just think graduated from whatever university because, frankly, you graduated from whatever university. You just think that's part of the course. They went to school. They went to school on tuition waiver. Yeah, of course they graduated. Nah, not necessarily. Jalen Hurts graduated from the University of Alabama, didn't graduate from Oklahoma because he didn't need to. He started prepping for the draft and seeing as the draft is held in April and you're working for the draft from January to April, school kind of gets in the way of your day job, which gives me back to another conversation I have with you all the time, which is say, you don't go to college to get a degree. A degree. You go to college to get a job. My, my degrees are in exercise science, English, and professional writing. Nowhere in there does it say broadcast journalism. Nowhere in there does it say film and TV. It's just what I needed to do to get into the door so that somebody else could approve my hiring. And this does, actually does come into play, especially when you want to work at places of higher learning, even as a football coach. I'll give you another example. There's this head coach at the University of Colorado who was the head coach at Jackson State who spent four years at Florida State University, was an All-American, won Thorpe Award, was a top 10 pick in the 1989 NFL draft. His name is Dion Primetime Sanders. He did not graduate college until August 2020. Even going through commencement, he got the chance to be on the podium to tell everybody how he really felt about that. And one of the things he kept bringing up was, my daughter beat me to this. One of my sons is probably going to beat me to this. But I got mine. And he got it at 50-plus years old. But did Deion Sanders need a degree to be Deion Sanders? Hell no. He did not. NFL, Major League Baseball, retired. Unretired, played for the Baltimore Ravens, TV for NFL Network, one of the biggest brands on social media. All to say, it really doesn't matter that much, but it matters in this context because we're talking about alumni. And me being an academic or uh, a has-been academic, a failed academic, I dropped out of the PhD program at the university, or excuse me, Oklahoma State. I feel strongly that wherever you got your degree is what you get to claim. He got his degree from the University of Alabama, even though he wore both insignias at the Senior Bowl. He's an Alabama guy. He is a Tide-er. I don't think that's a word. He is a member of the Crimson Tide. I love that he played at Oklahoma, just like I love that Dak Prescott plays quarterback at Dallas Cowboys, even when Dak Prescott can't beat the 49ers. I still claim him, but I claim him as, you know, quarterback of my team. Not an alumni of the University of Oklahoma, and that's okay. That's fine. That's the nature of the sport now. And I think it's important that we really come to grips with that. But yeah, I got degrees from the University of Tulsa and the University of Oklahoma, and I'll be damned if I don't root for both, just like you should be rooting for Jalen Hurts. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Katherine Donnelly. Our production assistant is Kiara Santana. Social media maven is Javion Duncan. Our director is Kyle Holly. Jack Coakley and Torin Westfall are leading our screening. And I'm the host, RJ. We will see y'all next week. Deuces. <laughs>